parenting is hard, isn't it? Um, but can I tell you something that's even harder than parenting? Being a kid. At least that's what I hear on a regular basis. Let me tell you a little bit about the difficulties of being a kid. It's hard to be a kid because you can't, sometimes you have to eat food that you don't like. Isn't that frustrating? I mean, I just want to eat candy all the time. Come on, mom and dad. It's hard to be a kid because um, you get all these toys out to play with. You go through all the effort of getting the toys out, and now they expect you to put them away on your own. Like, come on, that's not fair. It's hard being a kid because you can't just watch movies whenever you want. In fact, you can't do whatever you want whenever you want, right? Adults are so lucky because they get to do that. And especially, it's, it's hard to be a kid when you have so many toys you can't decide which one to play with. Okay, I'm, I'm being a little mean to the kids out there, right? I'm, I'm being a little unfair, maybe. Because sometimes it does feel that way to be a kid, and it's, it's hard. You don't understand it. But the truth is, parenting really is hard, isn't it? As I talk to parents uh, of young kids, of teenagers, even, even parents with adult children, right? They talk about it all the same. It's hard. It's difficult, And one of the reasons that it's hard to be a parent is that there's not just some easy um, one way to do it, right? There's not just one book that you just follow each day, day 473, do this, right? Now, don't get me wrong, we're going to get into God's Word, and that's very important. But there's not some easy, accessible book that just tells us day to day exactly what to do. And that's because every child is different. It's because every parent is different. Every situation is different. And so being a parent is hard. And sometimes parents just feel like they don't know what to do with the kids. And that's a question that we're going to hopefully answer this morning. It has to also do with the church. What do we do with the kids? See, we've been talking about essential church for the last couple months now. These things that are essential in the church. We talked about the purpose of the church. We talked about these three essential things about biblical truth, obedient living, and Christ-like serving. Okay? And then we talked about the three main areas in the, that we want people involved in the church. Sunday morning worship, small group communities, and intentional discipleship. But what do we do with the kids? Where are kids involved in all of this? And that's the question we want to hopefully answer this morning. Now, for those of you that don't have kids living with you, maybe you've never had kids, maybe you don't have kids yet, I don't want you to fall asleep or check out or leave. Okay? This is still relevant to you. And, and as you'll see, you're a big part of this as well, and we want you to be a big part of this. So, so hold on, stay tuned in, okay? It, it is relevant to you as well. So as we talk about what to do with the kids, um, we need to go to God's Word, right? We need, to, we need to figure out what does God's Word say about training kids, about teaching kids, about raising kids? What does the Bible say about that? And so for that, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning. Now, there's, there's several places in the Bible that it talks about this, but we're going to focus in on this one passage, and then we're, well, I'll, I'll mention also Ephesians chapter 6, but we're mainly going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6 today. So let me give you some context in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Just jumping into an Old Testament book like this can be a little bit confusing, so, so let me kind of bring you up to speed with, with where's the, where is this at in the Bible. This is a part of the first five books of the Old Testament, which are kind of the foundation to the whole Bible. And so you look back in Genesis, we had creation, and then we had the fall, right? Man created in God's image, but they sinned. They broke the partnership with God. But God wants to be together with them. Again, he wants to work with them. And so he chooses one man to be a family, to be his chosen people, 
that he's going to bless all the nations that he's going to work through in the world. And that man was Abraham and his family. By the time we get to the end of Genesis, the beginning of Exodus, actually, this family has turned into a whole nation, right? Over a million people. But they're enslaved in Egypt. And so God raises up this man named Moses to rescue them. And he rescues his people out of Egypt and brings them out into the wilderness. And we get to Exodus chapter 19, and God says, I rescued you out of Egypt, and now I want to make a covenant with you. A covenant. Think about this agreement, almost like a marriage agreement, right? That with, with vows. And so, so God's side of it says, I'm going to give you this, this land flowing with milk and honey, this wonderful land. Um, I'm going to be with you. I'm going, to, I'm going to protect you. And this is what you need to do. This is your side of the covenant, to keep my law. And right after that, he goes into the Ten Commandments. And the rest of Exodus and Leviticus is, all, is going through all of these laws, right? The, the, the terms of the covenant. This is what you must do. To, to be with a holy God, this is the way that you must live. But then we get to Numbers, and we find that the people aren't very good at it. We have these seven stories throughout Numbers of them failing to keep the covenant. And so God says, okay, this generation isn't going to enter the promised land. You're going to be stuck in the wilderness. But this next generation is... And so by the time we get to Deuteronomy now, the old generation has passed away. The new generation is ready to go into the promised land. And these are some of Moses' last words, reiterating, going through it again, that this, the laws and the covenant that he has made with his people. And that's where we get to in Deuteronomy. So we've just had, gone through the Ten Commandments again in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we get to chapter 6. And we're going to find all of the law summed up into one thing, which is helpful. As you look at, at the law in the Old Testament, 613 commands, and it just feels like, oh, it feels overwhelming. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's helpful when you can take that and you can bring it down to one simple idea. And that's what, that's what Moses, that's what God is going to do in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So I want to read the first three verses here, uh, which, which reminds us of that context, and then we'll get into the main part of the passage. So Deuteronomy 6.1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. There's that context, this, this covenant that he has made with his people. I'm going to give you this great land. I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to be with you. But this is what you must do. And now it's going to be all summed up into one main commandment, the greatest commandment. And that's what we see here in verses 4 and 5. So let's read 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel. It's like, listen up, Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now these words are probably familiar to you, right? Jesus does the same thing in the New Testament when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? And what does he say? He quotes this. Now he adds to it. He adds one to it. And love your neighbor as yourself. But he's quoting this. Jesus didn't come up with something new. He was restating something that was said right here. That if you were, to take, you were to take all of God's law, right, all of the human side of this covenant, this old covenant that he made with Moses and with the Israelites, and you were to sum it up into one main thing, what is this all about? 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is all about loving God. It's both the how to keep the commands. You must love God if you're going to follow him, right? If you're going to keep his commands. But it's also the why. Why should they keep God's law? Because they love him. So that's what it's all about. And this is a very significant verse in the Bible. It's very significant in the lives of, of, of the Jews and the Israelites over the thousands of years, right? It's a very significant verse in our lives as well. But what do you, so we have this message. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. But what do we do with that message now? Is it just a one-time message? Hey guys, just wanted to mention this and you can go into the land now. No, there's so much more to it than that. So let's keep reading. Verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is an everyday message, right? It's not a once in a lifetime message. It's not a once in a once a week message. This is an everyday message. When you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, right? When you walk around your house, put it on your doorpost, right? Bind it as a sign in your hand. Put it on your forehead so that you can see it with your eyes, that you remember it, right? This is an all-the-time, everyday message. And did you see the connection there with what we're talking about today? In verse 7, it says, And teach, you shall teach them diligently to your children. What do we do with the kids? This is the answer right here, actually. And this is the only answer you're going to find in the Bible when it comes to training up and raising up kids is parents teaching their children. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. And fathers, do not provoke your children, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what we understand from this, what does God's word say about raising kids, about training up kids? It's the responsibility of the parents. And as we look at this, it has to be intentional. Teach these things diligently to your children. It has to be intentional. Think about it this way. If, you, uh, if you're going to, you know, your, your 15 or 16-year-old child is, is now, now they're ready to learn to drive. Imagine if you just handed them the keys. 15 years old, you hand them the keys and you say, here you go, you've been watching me for 15 years, go for it. How well do you think that would turn out? How many parents would be willing to try that with their kids? Probably none, unless you really didn't care about your car or your child. No, no, you need to be intentional about it, right? And you may send them to driver school and all of that, but it, it really takes intentional time with somebody to learn how to drive. And so, so there's that important aspect of it. It has to be intentional, right? It's not about just bringing them to church every Sunday and hoping it, rub, hoping it rubs off. You have to intentionally teach them. And not just once a week, but, but every day throughout the day that you're teaching them these things. You're teaching them God's word. You see, there's a reality here that if you're not teaching them, then who is? Actually, the truth is, other people are teaching your children. Uh, people... Their, their friends are teaching them, right? Movies, TV, music is teaching them. Their teachers are teaching them. Their friends are teaching them. 
they're getting lots of other influences. No matter how much you try to protect them, they will. And that's not always a bad thing, but, but it's a reality. Where's your voice in that mix? Are you teaching your children these things? Parents must be teaching their children. But it's more than just that. We actually need to go back a verse to see this in Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. What does it say? And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You can't teach your kids to love the Lord your God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might, unless you do it first. These words have to be on your heart. You have to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might if you're going to teach your kids how to do it because the example is so important. Have you ever heard or maybe have you ever even used the phrase, do what I say, not what I do? Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty common and we kind of chuckle at it. But can I tell you something? It doesn't work. Right? Maybe it'll work for a little while, but pretty soon they start catching on. And I can tell you, teenagers can see right through it. It's not just about teaching them intentionally. It is, but right up there is the example that you set for them. How you live your life as a follower of Jesus shows them that same thing. And it's not about being perfect but it's authentically showing them what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus. Let me give you one example of something really important that you should teach your kids. In fact, it's even more important than good behavior, right? We try to teach our kids good behavior, and and the effort is there, and we should do that, and yet, as as many of you, as many of us have found out, it, it doesn't always work, right? It's a struggle. But one really important thing we should teach them is confession and repentance, We need to teach them to admit when they're wrong and to turn away from that, right? And so Jill and I have tried to do this with our kids. We have this routine, right, when they get in trouble, especially when they've hurt one another, right? So one of them has attacked the other sibling. They have to go. They have to admit what they did wrong. They have to apologize and then ask for forgiveness. And the other one says, yes, I forgive you, and then they hug, right? And and I think it's a good thing to teach the kids, Um, It easily becomes just this thing that they go through, right? Their heart's not really in it. They're just doing it because they have to. Um, But along with that, right, that's good. But can I tell you one of the most impactful things that I've been able to teach my kids is through the example myself when I've had to apologize to my kids. That's one of the most powerful moments of parenting that I've had. When I have to get down and I have to say, I'm sorry, What I did was wrong. Will you please forgive me? And when my kids have, and it's humbling, right? We don't want to do that. Parents don't want to admit that they're wrong. But that has a huge impact on them. They get it a lot more when mom and dad have to apologize to them. They understand repentance and forgiveness and confession so much more when they see mom and dad do it to them. We have to be an example to our kids. So, So let's kind of, Ryan, where, where are we at in this? Let's sum up what we're talking about here. As we ask that question, what do we do with the kids? And what we found is that it starts with parents. That parents must intentionally teach their kids, and they must intentionally be a good example. They need to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might, if you're going to teach your kids how to do it. You can't teach what you don't know, and you can't lead where you don't go. We must do that with our kids. How are you feeling out there, parents, right now? 
We talked about at the beginning how difficult parenting is. And now I've just thrown this whole extra burden on you. Made you feel bad, probably. Um, Unless you are a perfect parent out there. If so, then maybe we can talk afterwards. But how are you feeling? Maybe guilty? Maybe like this heavy burden on top of you right now? Thanks, Ryan. As if I already wasn't feeling inadequate enough as a parent. And then you put this on me. I need to intentionally teach my kids every day. I need to love God with all my heart, soul, and might. I need to be a good example. Thanks, Ryan. That's so helpful. Can I be honest with you? You can't do it. You can't. The Israelites couldn't do it. Right? We read this wonderful passage in Deuteronomy, but if you read through the rest of the Old Testament, what do you find? They rarely ever actually did it. They could, they could barely even make it a generation most of the time with loving God and teaching their kids to do it. That's actually the main problem throughout the rest of the Old Testament is the people did not love God with all their heart, soul, and might, and they did not teach their kids to love God with all their heart, soul, and might. Something else. I can't do it either. And if I'm being honest with you, I fail every single day. I mess up. Not only do I parent them wrong, right, but I, I, I neglect the things I should be doing. I'm selfish. And I don't do what's best for my kids. I fail every single day. In fact, I had a few moments of panic this last week preparing this sermon because I just felt my inadequacy of getting up here to preach about this when I struggle to do it in my own home. And I know what you'll tell me afterwards. Ryan, your kids are great. We've seen your kids. You see them here. You don't see them at home. (laughs) I fail every single day. And there may be a lot of you that have raised kids that that are now grown, and maybe they're not following Jesus today, and you feel that weight, and you feel that burden, and you feel that guilt. But can I tell you something today? You are forgiven. You see, God knew that we couldn't do it. Ever since the fall, we have been able, unable to keep the law of God, and he knew that. And it was his plan all along to send his son, the perfect, obedient son, that would live the perfect life and then would die the sinner's death. And all of my sins, all of your sins, are laid on Jesus on the cross. Every bad parenting move that you've done, every time you've sinned, every time you've messed up, that is laid on Jesus on the cross, and you are forgiven. And that's where we need to start every single day. You see, that message isn't a -a once-in-a-lifetime message, it's an everyday message, because I'm going to keep messing up every day, and I need to be reminded that I am forgiven, and you are forgiven. Every sin you have done, and every sin that you will do, was laid on Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. But it doesn't stop there. No, Jesus said, one of the last times that he had with his disciples in the upper room before he died, he told them, I need to leave. Actually, it's better for you if I leave, if I go away, because then I will send the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit who will be with you. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing that actually the Holy Spirit inside of us is better than Jesus beside us. He sent the Holy Spirit to help us, to encourage us, to support us, to give us wisdom and insight, to help us to raise our kids 
And so if we're going to raise Jesus followers, if we're going to raise disciples of Jesus, then we have to do it by the Spirit. We have to parent in the Spirit. Now, the problem with that idea is that it's kind of abstract, and what does that even mean to parent in the Spirit? So I want to give you one example of where I see this in my own life. And I don't always do this, but I see this clear distinction of what it looks like to parent in the flesh and to parent in the Spirit. So, so let, me, let me tell you about this. Um, it us- so the, the example I want to give is one that happens um, when my kids get in trouble. So I have lots of opportunity for this to happen. You know, you have young kids, and they're always fighting and those kinds of things. They get in trouble, and we need to deal with it. So when I parent in the flesh, it tends to look like this. I tend to either I get really frustrated and angry, right? They've broken one of my rules, and I'm the king of the house, and you've disrespected me, and now I need to deal with it. And so, uh, you know, I get frustrated, I get angry, I raise my voice, I just, I want to, I want to punish them for what they've done, because what they've done is wrong. So it's either that way, or, or I just don't want to deal with it, and so it's just like, you know what, don't do that again, but go do your thing, right? I just don't feel like dealing with it. And that's my natural fleshly instinct in the way that I parent. What does it look like if the Holy Spirit's involved? What does it look like to parent by the Spirit? Well, as I was thinking through it this last week, I came up with, with three P words that can ho- so hopefully you can remember this, okay? It's pause, prayer, and patience. So, they get in trouble. One of them hit the other one, right? And I need to deal with it. And in that moment, sometimes you need to separate them first. You need to make sure everybody's safe. But then in that moment, I need to pause. That's the first thing. I need to pause and I need to take a deep breath. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, the deep breath, right? You're like, okay. And that's such a crucial point because if I don't do that and I just rush into it, I usually do it by the flesh. But if I'm going to do it by the spirit, I need to pause, take that deep breath. And then I call them over to me. Come here, I need to talk to you. And while they're on their way over, that's when I say that quick prayer. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Give me wisdom. Help me to do the right thing in this situation. And so that, that quick prayer, and even I will, I will keep trying to pray um, as, as the conversation happens, but, but in that moment, I really need to pray. And then they come up to me, and I get down on their level. This is a parenting pro tip, okay, for some of you if, you, if you hadn't heard this before, but getting down on their level is super helpful, whether you sit down on a chair or the couch or actually kneel down so, so that you're on their level. And then I need to exercise patience. Our, uh, our middle son, Henry, is, uh, he's a storyteller. He wants to tell you the story of how it happened, and it takes a lot of patience. Because like I said, in that moment of flesh, I just, I just want to get to the point, I just want to get this over with so I can get back to my own thing. But in the spirit, I need to stop and I need to listen to him. And so he'll tell me, let me tell you the story, let me tell you how it happened. And sometimes it'll even be two years ago when I was three. It, you know, it's like, oh, come on, man. I mean, it takes like three to five minutes for him to tell this story, right? But you know what the funny thing is? If I have patience and I just let him tell the story, he does most of the work for me. Because by the end of the story, he knows what he did wrong and he knows what's going to happen, right? By the end of the story, I go, okay, Henry, um, do you know what you did wrong? And he goes, yeah. What, do you, what, do we, what needs to happen, right? What do you deserve? Sometimes that's the, what, what we talk about. And, and if he's had a chance to say his part of the story, he's usually ready for the next step. And at that point, we have, we have an opportunity. Um, so at that point, we then um, we do the discipline side. And this is for me. I'm not putting this on anyone else. This is just what our family does. But typically, it's pretty simple. It's mercy or spanking. 
And, and that's, that's the option. And sometimes we give mercy. And I'll be honest with you, the more that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and patient in those moments, the more likely I am to give mercy. Now, I still think there is, there is times where you need, they, they need to understand the weight of what they've done. And that discipline is very important. But it's also good to show mercy and to show the love of Jesus through that, reminding them of what they've done. But either way, I get an opportunity to tell them that they are forgiven, both by me and by God, and that their sin was laid on the cross, uh, laid on Jesus on the cross. Every time my kids get in trouble, it's an opportunity for me to, sh- for me to remind them of the gospel. And that's a, great, that's a great opportunity, isn't it? Now, I don't want to paint an inaccurate picture here. Um, that's the ideal situation. <laughs> that is not what I do every time, unfortunately. I've already confessed this to you. I am a sinful parent, and I do things wrong, and, and it's easy for me to get angry and frustrated with my kids. But more and more, that's how I want to parent, is by the Holy Spirit. So, as we talk about what to do with kids, we recognize that, that, that it starts with the parents. It starts in the home. The home is such an essential place for training and raising up kids. And we have to be intentional, and we also have to be a good example. But we're not perfect, and we are going to mess up, and we are forgiven. And it's so important to start every day, to remember every day that you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And it's a fresh day to start anew, living by the Spirit. And that's, that's what we want to do, and that's what we understand It's so important in this. But now we get to that question, okay, where does the church come into all of this? I've taken a long time to get to this point, but it's it's so important for us to remember that it does start with parents. But then where does the church come in, and how does the church interact now with kids? Well, it starts with that purpose. We've been talking for several weeks, reminding you of this, what is the purpose of the church? It's to equip God's family for God's mission. So first of all, the church, the church, what does the church have to do with this? The church is here to equip parents to disciple their kids, equip God's family for God's mission, because your kids are your mission. Now, your mission doesn't end there, but it starts there, right? It's so easy to think, oh, I need to reach out to my neighbors, my coworkers, and all of that, and you neglect your own kid's spiritual journey. It's so important that we start with our kids And we're teaching them these things. If we're not teaching them these things, how can we teach other people these things? And so the church is here to help you with that. We want to equip you to to raise up your kids as Jesus followers. And so the the church as a whole is a part of that. But also this question is, okay, where do kids belong in church? And that's really probably been the the main question that we've been trying to get to with this message is, okay, where do kids belong in this church? We talk about children's ministry and those kind of things. Well, I want to remind you of our three main thrusts that we talked about the last three weeks. Sunday morning worship, small group communities, and intentional discipleship. And we don't see children's or youth ministry as another box over here, as this separate thing over here. We see it across the board involved in all of this. And so let me describe both how those three things help equip parents to be disciple makers as well as as where kids belong in each of those. So starting off with Sunday morning worship, that's where we're at this morning. Parents, this is a good place for you to be equipped. Worshiping with one another, hearing God's word, this is a place for you to be supported and encouraged by God's word, by one another, and, and to be equipped to go out and to teach your kids these things, right? Um, a main connection point was last week we talked about intentional discipleship out of first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, where Paul says, um, what you've heard from me, teach these things to faithful men. 
And so in the same way, parents, what you've heard from me, teach these things to your kids. There's that idea going on there. And so, uh, so parents getting equipped in Sunday morning worship is really important. What about kids? Kids belong here in the Sunday service. Now, we do have things like nursery and pre-K during the second service right now. Usually, we have it both services. Um, and, and, and those are great. And I understand the need for those, right? A two- or three-year-old trying to sit through the service with them, I understand that, right? Sometimes it's more of a distraction, and you're like, why am I even here? I'm not getting anything out of this. And so we have, some, we have nursery and pre-K for those reasons, and we want those to be there for people, okay? But especially as your child gets older, Oftentimes, Sunday school can seem that way too. I'll drop my kids off at Sunday school so they don't have to sit through the service. And And I understand that, but it's actually good for them to be in the service. Can I tell you, can I talk to dads for a moment? Dads, it is so important for your kids to see you worship God. I can't tell you the impact it will have on your kids as they watch you in the service worshiping God. Now, that's nothing against moms, but, but fathers tend to be less emotional and, you know, that whole dynamic. It's, it's important for, for kids to watch their mom worship as well. Do you get what I'm saying? Seeing that example is so important. Some churches have, have a program for kids from the time that they're born until the time they graduate high school or sometimes even college. And with a lot of those kids that have never stepped foot in the sanctuary, they've been a part of their program their whole life. They end up walking away from the church because this is foreign to them. Now they have to start going to big church, and they're like, I don't really like it. It's not, my, it's not my thing. Kids getting used to sitting through church and being a part of this body of Christ together is important, okay? That's Sunday worship. Small group communities, parents, this is a place, once again, for you to get equipped. We want you to, uh, as, you're, as you're with other adults talking about God's word, you're getting equipped to make disciples out of your kids. And kids, once again, they belong in small groups, we want these small groups to be cross-generational. We want them to be whole families involved. They get to interact with other kids. They also, you also can be intentional about a time for the kids for them to learn. They can sit at the table with you and talk about these things. Kids, we want kids involved in small group communities. And then the third one here is intentional discipleship. Adults, parents, we need to be discipled. And one of the things that we're really trying to kick off and get more going are these discipleship groups where we have mutual discipleship going on. And they're a great place for parents to be discipled and to help disciple other adults. You need to be discipled if you're going to disciple your kids. And then kids, where do they belong in intentional discipleship? Once again, that's where we go back to parents discipling their kids. But we as a church also have some opportunities to give you some tools. Because a lot of parents, they just feel like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. How am I supposed to teach my kids the Bible when I barely know it? And so we have some tools for you to use. We often call them programs, but I'd prefer to look at them as tools. Things like Awana and Children's Sunday School are awesome opportunities for you to disciple your kids. Okay? Awana is a great program because you have that book that then they go, they have fun, they say verses, and then they come home, and throughout the rest of the week, you get to work through the book with them. Now you have a curriculum to use. You don't feel like you're just lost trying to figure it out. You can work through that with them. So those are those three areas. Kids are involved across the board in all three of them. And that's what our church does with these kids. We want to raise them up as Jesus followers, and it starts with parents, but parents are not alone. 
And that's where the rest of you come in. Maybe you've been waiting this whole sermon, okay, when is he going to get to the part about me? Okay. Hopefully you've seen all along where you fit into this and how, how this relates to you. Because the truth is, this isn't just about the nuclear family. We are a family as a church. And this is how we disciple one another. Olders discipling youngers. Being involved in community with one another. To encourage and support one another in following Jesus. And kids don't just need their parents. They need aunts and uncles, spiritual aunts and uncles, spiritual grandparents. They need other people as well to be a part of this whole process. This takes the whole church to be involved and connected together. Kids are a part of all of this. And we need to see that connection. And even if you've raised your kids, even if they're, they're, they're out of the house and long gone, you still have an opportunity to, to invest in other people's lives. You have an opportunity to, to support and encourage other parents that are in the midst of raising their kids. Maybe you've never even had kids, but still we have a part in the body of Christ to encourage and support one another growing together. You see, you're not in this alone. We're in this together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you, God, that you have given us life in you. Lord, we thank you that, um, that we have a future and a hope in you. And Lord, I pray that in the midst of difficulty, I pray that in the midst of, of wherever these people are, Lord, maybe it is parenting and feeling the weight and the difficulty and the, the, just feeling worn out from raising kids. Maybe that's some of the difficulty. God, maybe, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's with your adult kids or never having kids. God, whatever it is, wherever these people are, I pray that they would remember the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that we have our hope in that. And because of what you have done, you've restored the relationship with us, that we have the Holy Spirit, and we can walk in new life with you. But God, I pray that we would remember that we cannot do that alone, that it takes the whole church to be involved and to be a part of it. And I pray that we would all step into that in the church. We would be connected to one another, that we would support and encourage one another, and we would be with each other, growing more and more as followers of Jesus. And we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.